This Short Code podcast is a proud member of the MedEd Media Network. Inspiration, information, and guidance on your journey to medical school and beyond at mededmedia.com. Meandering in the margins of medicine, it's the Short Code podcast. Weird news, fresh views, helpful clues, and interviews. By students, for students. Subscribe to our weekly show at theshortcode.com. Welcome back to the Short Code Podcast, a production of the University of Iowa Carver College of Medicine. I'm Dave Etler. On today's show, we're talking about the things medical students need to know about being leaders. What kind of leaders do physicians become? What are the essential skills of a good leader? And what it's like to lead when you're a lowly intern. (laughs) Uh, With us today is Dr. Brent Lacey, a gastroenterologist, career coach, and host of the Scope of Practice podcast. Welcome to the show, Dr. Lacey. Well, thanks, David. Thanks, everybody, for letting me uh, come on and talk with you guys. This is going to be fun. Yeah. Of course, I also have a group of incredible, magical medical students today. And side note, we're back in the studio wearing our PPE and looking sweet. Uh, say hello to MD-PhD student Aline Sanduk. Hello. M2 Nathan Spitz is here. What's crack And M4 Holly Conger has joined us today. Hello, everybody. Uh, so yeah, leadership. Uh, it's kind of one of those things that you know when you see it. Um, and you certainly know when you don't see it. Uh, but maybe you can help us figure out what is the basic jobs of a leader, Dr. Lacey, and, and what are the components of leadership? Yeah, I mean, I think you could do uh, at least a, a 10 hour, you know, you know, summit meeting on that question. So um, it, it's it's going to look different for everybody. But I think at its core, I think leadership is taking a group of individuals and forming them into a team all dedicated to a singular mission. And I think it's the leader's job to see that the team succeeds. And what that usually means is seeing that each individual person on the team is able to succeed in whatever part that they are playing on the team. Um, I think some of the best leaders are the ones that are, that take the least credit and uh, work hard to see that their team is uh, maximally successful in all the stuff that they're trying to do. Interesting part of that is, um, is I think, finding out what members of your team are best at and allowing them to, to sort of just do that um, and thus sort of making your team competent at their mission through all of the different competencies that people that people have on the team. Is that is that a component of leadership in medicine or do you have to be sort of all arounders? No, I think that I think that you have to be um, all around good at a few skills, but that I think I think that in general, especially as we are seeing medicine become more and more specialized, I think what we're seeing is uh, is each team member is maybe good at a few things, but not necessarily good at all things and that they're exceptionally good at one or two things. So for example, you know, I, I'm a gastroenterologist. And so I have uh, some team members that are highly skilled with administration. And so, you know, they really help us with our, you know, scheduling and, you know, keeping the trains running on time and just keeping everything highly organized, making sure that the supply chain is, you know, uninterrupted. And then I have some folks that are, you know, okay at that and they can step in when needed, but their, their chief skill is they're really good with their hands. And so they're really great at the technical aspects of endoscopy, for example. Um, and so I, I think some of that comes with uh, trial and error and I'm a big believer in giving people opportunities to find their niche. So, um, you know, whenever I have a new team member that comes on, you know, I'll, I'll coach them through the, you know, the, the basic the expectations that I have of each of the team members, which is, you know, I want everybody to have their brains engaged at all time. Um, I want everybody to be a team player. That's very important for me is that everybody is, everybody's on the team. Everybody's helping each other out. And one of the things I always tell people is, if you want to make me, you know, not like you, if you want to get me to try to get you off of my team, the easiest way to do that is to say the following four words. That's not my job. <laughs> I hate that phrase with a passion. So, yep. because ultimately at the end of the day, who's the most important person in the entire hospital? The it's patient. the patient who's right in front of us. Right. And so if, if we are, if we are trying to do a job and, you know, we feel like, well, this is beneath me or this is, this isn't something that I was, fully trained to do, 
it doesn't matter if it's what the patient needs, we need to figure out a way to do it. And either that's, you know, we figure out a way to do it ourselves or we find the person who's best suited to do that. And a lot of that comes through trial and error and giving people opportunities to, to try different things and then find out what they're good at and what they're not so good at. In line with talking about like playing up on people's strengths right now, like running through my head is kind of like the animal leader types of like teddy bear versus shark, et cetera. Um, and like in a, is this a thing? Yeah. I don't know if Dr. Lacey or like colors, you know, people have like colors of like orange, blue, red, et cetera. But I've I'm, been inside too long. I've not heard of this. Okay. So like, if you, you know, like a shark is a leader who is like, you know, aggressive, dominant, yeah, yeah. et cetera, a teddy yeah. bear, somebody who, you know, is, amicable etc but like when you have That's two healthy. sharks or two you know two competing things like that what kind of advice do you have on you know like dividing and like siloing i don't know if that question is making sense but no it definitely does well and so to to answer the first part of that question i think is that um what he's talking about is is um one of a one of several different models that people use to try to classify uh, their team members in terms of what their primary skill set is or what their their personality bent is. Mm-hmm. So um, there's lots of different personality tests. You guys have probably taken some of them, like Myers Briggs, uh, you know, Strengths Finder, things like mm-hmm. that. Um, the the one that's closest to what you're describing, Nathan, I think would be the DISC. Uh, assessment D I S C. And, um, and so I've seen that used, uh, as a, you know, as a way to separate, not separate, but to, um, define people's primary, secondary, tertiary skill sets. And they do use animals. I think it's a, like a, a lion and a, and a golden retriever and an otter and some other things. And so those are all, you know, and th- those are fun. Those are, those are all, you know, kind of fun to, to see. And I'm an otter if anybody cares. But. <laughs> I feel like we're asking um, like, what's your Patronus? I get it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's exactly right. So. I very much have to take this assessment. Yeah, I was like, I'm not of this one. I hope I'm not a slug. They yeah, used so to the, make uh, us all the, take the Strengths Finders one when we started med school. Yeah. I think they still do that. Yeah. The, the disc one, I think, is really helpful. It's more about communication style. You know, how do you communicate? Are you more of a, a more of an assertive, you know, like we need to do this, this and this. We're very decisive. Or are you more, well, we want to make decisions, but the most important thing is that everybody is involved and everybody's having a good time. So there's lots of great things, but the disc assessment is a really good one. Um, but to answer your question, Nathan, you know, what do you do when you, when you get multiple personalities that are very similar? First off, I think you need to prepare yourself for the fact that that is 100% going to happen. Um, there's only, there's a limited number of personality styles, truth be told. So you're going to have times when you have those kinds of things. I think that the antidote to, uh, conflict is clarity. And so if you have people that have, um, similar personalities, what's very helpful is for everybody to have very clearly defined roles, and very clearly defined expectations. And this is not to say that, you know, people can't, you know, people have to quote unquote, stay in their lane. That's another phrase that gets me going. Um, but, but rather that, you know, if you have a set of expectations for each team member, then you know, then it it eliminates a lot of confusion. So where if someone's going to have a tendency to just kind of, you know, dominate the entire conversation or, you know, try to take charge, you know, if their, if their job description and their stated and written expectations are, well, that's not actually your role We're you're here in more of a support role. This is, this is the area in which you can, you know, grow and excel, but you are not the, you know, person who's in charge and managing all this stuff. I think having those expectations, having those conversations with people and having them also written out that you can refer back to when people's memories fade, as they often do, um, is very helpful. So I think, the, I think the answer is clarity, clarity of roles and defining the roles very clearly. I like that. So I imagine that, um, you know, the doctors are, are leaders. Um, they're leaders of their teams. They might be leaders in, in a larger sense. Maybe they're leaders of organizations or practices or or, um, you know, healthcare systems or what have you. But, you know, starting from the med school experience, I imagine that a good way to begin to understand leadership is also one of the first career moves that a medical student has to make, which is finding a mentor. And that's intimidating, I think, for um, especially young people coming into medical school is, is reaching out and finding that mentor. What should students do? How should students think about that, do you think? And um, what should they look for? That's a, that's a great question. Um, there's a great, there's a great old saying, you know, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. And I think that that has been true in my career that um, every, every time I felt like I was reaching a point where 
additional help would be needed or additional guidance would be valuable. Um, someone was there. And I don't know if it was just that I suddenly started realizing that I needed that. And I started looking for that and that they were always already there to begin with, or if it was that it just, you know, happened to work out that way. But I think there's some validity to that. Um, so I think a couple of things that you should look for in a mentor and it doesn't need to be, people tend to wig out about this. It doesn't need to be this formal, you know, process like, you know, like you're, like you're choosing a, you know, a spouse or something will like you, that. It's will not, you be you know. mine? Will you be mine? <laughs> Check yes. If yes. Check no. Do you want to help me with my problem? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but I, I think some things that make for an excellent mentor uh, would include someone who listens to you. Um, so someone who's actually paying attention to what your concerns are and, and is actually seeking to offer advice directly towards that specific issue or those specific concerns that you have. Cause so many times, you know, you'll, you'll be, you know, trying to talk to somebody and they just kind of, they just start talking in general platitudes or they say, well, you know, when I was your age, this is what, and that's, you are like, <laughs> well, that doesn't relate to what I'm actually worried about right now. Yeah. So I think listening to you is, is a, is a very important thing. The second I think is experience. You need someone who is, you know, gone, who's been there, done that. Right. So as an MS four, you know, it's okay to have an intern or a second year resident as a mentor. Um, I had, I, you know, some of the best people that I learned from as an intern, for example, were my second and third year residents. And you might think, well, they haven't been around that much longer than me. You know, is that really a mentor? Well, they're exactly what I needed at the time. Um, so, so I think having a, having that experience, having that, that corpus of, of shared, um, experiences and someone that can actually guide you through, well, here's what happened to me. And this is how I dealt with what you're dealing with. Um, someone who can empathize, I think is very valuable. And I think the third big thing, and this is, this is key. And this is the one that people either don't like to, to hear, or they, they don't realize they need to hear is that, um, is you need a mentor who is going to lovingly tell you when you are missing something or when you're doing something wrong or when you're, you're completely missing the boat. So that's one of the greatest values of having a good mentor. So, you know, I'll, I'll give you an example. So if you think, uh, I don't know if any of you guys are, you know, familiar with, uh, you know, college basketball, I mean, at university of Iowa, I think so. Um, but you know, coach K with the, with the Duke blue devils, you know, so if he was, you know, or whoever your guys coaches, if you want to use him, um, if you were, if you were to say to his players, you know, you, you got a player who's shooting 50% from the free throw line and it's because he's got this completely bizarre shot style that's erratic and not helpful. You know, if that guy says, Oh, well you do you, you know, it's, I, I don't want to trample your personality. You know, uh, your, your feelings are very important. You know, you, you just do however you want. Is the coach really doing that guy or that gal any favors by allowing them to consistently fail when there's a way that they could easily be coached into success? And I think the answer is no. So you need to have someone that will, that will tell you the truth and that will hopefully do so in a loving way, but will have those hard conversations with you. I think that's the number one thing that you need in a good mentor. To kind of like flip it around, what for somebody who, like Amy, who's inexperienced in mentorship, mm -hmm. what are some things in your experience that would make a good mentee in like this kind of relationship? That's a really great question. Um, so I would say number one is you need to be coachable because if you're going to, if, you know, if you're going to go to a mentor and try to learn from them, you, you need to be willing to learn. And this includes people that are, you know, this includes mentors that are, you know, very hard to learn from, or they're, you know, they, they trample on your feelings, they tread on your dreams. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I'll give you an example. One of the, uh, one of my attendings that I had in fellowship, um, I, I still consider him to be a great mentor. He was just a phenomenal clinician and he really taught me so much about GI medicine. And every time that I was on call with him, I, I just, my feet, my, my, ego and my self-esteem were just so low because he had this way of, of coaching us that he would ask, he would just continually ask questions until he finally found something that we didn't know. And he'd be like, okay, well, let's teach you on that. And so every single time I was on call with him, I felt stupid every time. <laughs> but, yeah, but the, but the question knew... is how early in the questioning process did you feel stupid? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you get really far, maybe it's a good day. Yeah, exactly. So, so, you know, it was helpful though. I mean, I learned so much from him and I owe a lot of, of what, of who I am now to that. But if I hadn't been willing to sit and listen to him and go, okay, I know I'm feeling stupid right now. I know he's, you know, he's really, you know, riding me, but, but, uh, but I'm learning, 
right? So I think coachability is going to be a big one. Um, I think uh, another one would be humility. One of the things that I, I think grates on me as a mentor is when I've got someone who pretends to know it all, right? So as um, so they'll ask a question and then I'll start to answer and they'll go, mm-hmm, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm, that's right. I'm like, mm. if you already know the answers to the questions, why are you asking the questions? And so I think a certain dose of humility and recognizing that you don't know stuff is, is incredibly valuable. Um, and then, you know, I think, um, you know, I think just sort of a, a willingness to work hard and to, uh, and just to continue learning and to keep asking questions. I, th- I think those are some things that would make for a really valuable, uh, experience as a mentor mentee. Some of what you're talking about is, um, the ability, I think, to self-evaluate and, um, you know, in, at least um, among med students, I find that to be usually, you know, a strong skill, um, which is good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, yeah. I think among the general population, it's it's somewhat harder to find, especially now where compromise feels like some total failure <laughs> or like surrender, right? A personal insult to them. Yeah. One of the first opportunities that a medical student has to practice leadership skills, uh, at least here, and I'm sure in other schools, is is um, to run for a medical student government office or to lead one of our student organizations or a student course liaison committee. Any of you guys doing those things? I was a community mayor um, and I was also on a liaison committee and several other committees. I feel like I learned how to be a leader in med school. Yeah. So Dr. Lacey, uh, we have these um, medical school communities, which is becoming a a more common practice. Um, Basically, when students come into the college, they get sorted into uh, sort of at random uh, into different uh, communities. Hogwarts houses. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> we'll keep I was I was going. I was waiting for someone to say it. <laughs> yeah. And um, and so that you know it's the center of of curriculum delivery. It's the center of mentorship and um, public service and all kinds of things at the college. So that's what being a mayor is basically leading their community yeah. in the different, mostly like philanthropical. Yeah. We, um, yeah. We lead uh, monthly community meetings to kind of build a sense of community amongst itself. We help run all of the philanthropy events. We help um, coordinate other like morale building events and also take care of the community itself, connect with faculty, various things like that. Mm-hmm. What, uh, what other leadership uh, activities. I think you're. I think yeah. you do something right now. I'm a co-president of Equal Meds, like the LGBTQ plus uh, student organization here at the Carver College of Medicine. Um, also co-president for NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness. Um, an executive board member for the Free Mental Health Clinic. Um, I don't. I, well, I'm wow. like a student liaison committee, committee member right. for like Medicine Society. Leave some for the rest of us, I, I know. As I That's started awesome. to talk, I'm like, ooh, am I overextending myself? I don't know. <laughs> this is, it's like a perpetual cycle of like, I, and I, I, on the like self-evaluation thing, I'm like, can I like feasibly give 100% of myself to like each of these things? No, but. Yeah, but you know what? What's interesting about all of the orgs you just mentioned is that they overlap quite a lot in goal. So you could be doing the same thing and have it apply to multiple endeavors, which is actually brilliant. Mm-hmm. So. We've done some like partnerships like for NAMI and Equal Meds, like having Dr. Daniolos, a child adolescent psychiatrist, come in and like give a talk about like delivering mental health care to nonconforming um kids and stuff like that. So yeah, yeah it's been great yeah. to like help foster some like collaboration here at Carver. There's a there's a leadership quality right there, figuring out when when not to work so hard, I think. <laughs> or hard. working, working no. smarter. Not hard, yeah. I, I was going to say working harder. So doing one thing that like can be a prototype that you apply to many things and yeah. then just maximize the output. One thing that I feel really strongly about is um, I started a women's group for my program, for my grad program. And um, there wasn't really a thing like that before. And it's nothing crazy. It's just like a once a week thing. And now it's more of a coffee hour and I've kind of bequeathed it to another student because I'm hoping to finish my PhD this year. But, you know, it it was nice to have kind of the flexibility of either an open discussion, opening the floor to any concerns people had, or having maybe a planned activity like a thoughtfulness or meditation or having, you know, female leaders come in and talk about what they have been challenged with, which like undoubtedly we would experience. And I got a lot out of it and I got a lot of good feedback from it too. So that's good. Yeah. Yeah. It's, a, I mean, I think sometimes leaders find things that need doing um, and they somehow get them done. So nobody, nobody said, Aline, I want you to lead this thing. Um, 
I, you just sort of saw a need and I I wanted it like it, I, yeah you know I needed that well, yeah, so yeah. I made it and then other people seemed to like it too so I it was very selfish of me but it worked out hey, for the best hey man. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's how a lot of leadership goes is you know taking advantage of opportunity and you can create your own opportunity to a degree yes so, yeah right yes. Yeah. And that can be done at, at any, at any stage. I mean, it doesn't have to, I mean, as you guys are showing, you don't have to wait until you're out in clinical practice. I mean, you guys are doing this as, you know, as med students. Um, and you should, I think, continue to look for those same opportunities. And it, furthermore, don't be, don't, don't allow systems to, you know, tell you that you can't do stuff. I mean, this is something that, uh, I, is, uh, does university of Iowa have a VA association? Yeah, we, we do. do. Yeah. Okay. So, so I trained in San Antonio, um, at the university of Texas uh, for med school. And so half of my rotations were at the VA. And as you guys are probably aware, the VA is a gigantic bureaucracy. And yeah. so trying yes. to move things, is like pushing molasses up a Sandy Hill sometimes, <laughs> but there are still ways that you can make changes. And one of the things that I always coach folks on is that, um, if you're going to win the game, you got to know what the rules are. And so sometimes it's a matter of figuring out how decisions get made mm -hmm. and then figuring out how to insert yourself in that process. So for example, if you're, if you're noticing that there are some deficiencies in terms of, you know, safety or pa you know, like patient safety or, or something, then, well, how do you address that? Is that an electronic form thing? Is there a committee that's in charge of that? Is there a single person who's, you know, the, the point person for that? Um, and so sometimes it takes a little bit of investigation and digging. That's where a mentor can be helpful. As we were talking earlier, as someone who's kind of been there, done that, uh, and, you know, uh, can kind of coach you through, Oh, you know what? You need to talk to this one person in this one office and she's here on alternate Thursdays, but she's fantastic. Right. So, mm -hmm. you know, you can, you can find those opportunities. And so, um, like, like Aline was saying, you know, creating that women's group, you know, no one knew there was a need there, but clearly you're filling uh, a significant, meaningful role. And so that's an aspect of leadership. Absolutely. So Dr. Lisa, you were talking about like phrases that kind of trigger you in a bad way. And when you were talking about someone saying like, that's not my job, my first thought, is it okay if I, yeah, yeah. Some? okay. I don't know if you like, what, if what, I was interrupting. What show do you think you're on? <laughs> in <laughs> case so you like what, had a what? flow and you know I was what? interrupting. Stay in your lane. I'm going to stay <laughs> in my, my lane is out there. I'm just going to leave. Um, no. So, you know, when you said that, my first thought was that I've heard people say that, but in ways that were acceptable. Like there's a way to say like, I, that's not my, I don't know how to do that, but you know what? I'm going to find out. I'm going to ask. So what I wanted to ask you is what are ways that people have said that to you, but that wasn't in that, like said it, but in a way that was like, okay, I can work with that. I can't work with you not giving a crap, but this I can deal with. Yeah, that's, that's a, that's a good question. So, um, I can give you a couple of concrete examples. So if someone says, you know, I've, I've never done that before, but, um, show me what you need and let me see if I can figure it out. Or if someone says, um, you know, I don't know how to do that. You know, do you, do you know someone I can talk to that can show me how to get this done or can you show me one and then I'll try to do it on my own? Um, or, you know, I don't know the answer to that question, but I'll find out for you. So if it's, if it's some, if it's, if it's a phrase that shuts down the conversation, that doesn't work for me. Right. So if it's, that's not my job and that's, and they think that's the end of the conversation, that's not the end of the conversation, <laughs> but if it's, if it's, well, I don't know how to do that, but, but let me find a way to help you then, then fine. The, the one exception I would offer to that is if it's something that you're genuinely not qualified for, or that it's, it's outside your scope of practice or something. It's, you know, if it's like, if someone asks a nurse to do something that is only to be done by a licensed independent provider, then the nurse can say, you know, can very appropriately and reasonably say, I'm not qualified to do that. That's not within my scope of practice. You know, it would, it would be inappropriate for me to do that. But then I still think the next sentence out of the mouth needs to be, but let me see if I can find someone who can do that for you. Because mm -hmm. you got to remember, there's still a task that needs to be done. There's still a patient that needs to be cared for. There's still something that needs to be accomplished. And so helping shepherd that uh, project forward in whatever way you can is valuable. Yeah. So the exception is that's not my job according to the law, <laughs> but also, yeah, like a, that, that is an interesting feature I've noticed of people that I really like working with versus people I don't is conversation enders. Like they'll find a way to kind of bunt the ball back of like, Hey, I don't know how to do that, but how can I help? How can I help are my favorite four <laughs> words I hear anyone like, Hey, I don't know what to, but how can I be useful to you? What can I do for you? Tell me and I'll, and I'll do it if I don't know. Yeah. 
But yeah, those are all really nice examples of like how people can address, like your goal is not to get this person to do a thing they don't know how to do. It's to fix a problem. And like, maybe they don't know how to do the literal thing, but they can help you get to it so you can figure that out. So... I feel like Absolutely. as a med student on rotations, I walk around and say those four words constantly. How can I help? How can I help? How can I help? Because I'm not a resident or a doctor yet, so you I don't know how to do much. But stand there, I stand in the corner. Okay, yeah. that's a, stay out of the way. Yeah, yeah. What do I do with yeah. my retract, hands? retract, yeah. retract. Hold this. <laughs> So uh, everything about medicine is we've been sort of going over as a team sport. Um, and it doesn't matter what part of medicine you're in. It could be research teams to patient care teams. Um, among the players on the team are principal investigators, lab assistants, attendings, PAs, residents, nurses. Um, so you guys, all of you, have experienced teams of different kinds. What stands out to you as the qualities of the best teams you have worked with? So the team, the overall team qualities. And I guess you're going to say, you know, you've already said one of them is where nobody says that's not my job. Mm-hmm. So we can camaraderie. Yeah, yeah, we can we can say that that's already been mentioned. Anything else, um, Dr. Lacey, you want to start? Sure. So um, I'm going to offer you guys a book recommendation that I think would answer this question more uh, in more detail than I will right now. Uh, it's called The Ideal Team Player. Uh, it's by a guy named Pat Lencioni. And the ideal team player. And the the thesis of the book is that the ideal team player has three characteristics. Um, the first is humility. Uh, so they're humble. Uh, the second is that they're hungry. And the third is that they have uh, high emotional intelligence. And so the word he uses to describe that is smart, but he means people smart. And so someone who's humble, you know, who has an other's focus, who has that, that servant attitude um, is, is, a, is a key requisite, I think, for a, any team member. So someone who doesn't think of themselves as more important than everybody else. Um, and then the second feature, hungry, uh, that basically describe someone who's a go-getter, not a gunner, but someone who's, you know, a go-getter, they're motivated. They're always looking to do a little bit more. They're always trying to be a little bit better. They're always trying to help the team go a little bit farther, you know, try to make things just slight, just 5% more, 5% better, 5% faster. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but they, and they don't have to be told to do that. They don't require prompting. And then the third thing is high emotional intelligence. So someone who, you know, is able to recognize, you know, when there's, you know, conflict within the team or when there's tension or when a conversation maybe didn't go as well as it should have, or, um, you know, they're, they're, they're just in tune with what other people are, are thinking and feeling. And so, um, that's the model that I use. And I, I think that, uh, I think that sums up a team member, the ideal team member pretty well, but, uh, you know, there's lots of other, you know, secondary tertiary characteristics that go into it as well i think for me um at the under i mean they're across the country but dance marathon um if people are familiar with it, it's a national fundraiser for pediatric cancer but here at the university of iowa was on um, leadership for a couple of years and something that i really appreciated about those teams were having regular kind of like feedback check-ins um you know whether it was like throughout the week to have like regular check-ins and whatnot to see like what's going well what can we improve on etc um, and I think that's something that like Dr. Lacey had talked about, like to, you know, change course, et cetera, and like keep improving, keep adding that like 5%, et cetera. Um, and something that I also appreciated was having like time to remember the why you're a part of this team and to mm-hmm. like slow it down in that regard. And that's something I've realized I haven't done the best at. <laughs> well, that one's really hard because you get caught up in the in your own world. minute to minute uh, tasks and things that need to be done. Mm-hmm. And you could, I, I mean, you know, it happens. You lose sight of why you're there. Yeah. And even just like carving out like one or two minutes of each meeting of like, okay, like let's reflect or write it down. Like, you know, why are you doing this? What's motivating you to keep moving forward? And I think that also contributes to the, you know, striving for more, et cetera. Yeah, I think so kinda... Nathan, Nathan, I think that's a really important point. If I can, if I can just, you know, touch on that for a second, mm-hmm. I, I think you've made an incredible observation there by and large, what you guys have no doubt discovered already to a certain extent, or you certainly will in internship and residency, is that medicine and the uh, the training of medicine is an inherently dehumanizing experience. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, and 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 what I mean by that specifically is that you are you are constantly at the beck and call of 
everybody, right? It's you are running from, from task to task and putting out fire after fire. And it's, you know, you're, you're working long hours and weird shifts and, you know, you're, you're constantly in demand and, you know, you're just, you never eat enough. You never sleep enough. You know, you don't see your family enough and it's, it is an inherently dehumanizing experience. And so taking time to recenter yourself, I think is, is huge. I think that's critically important. Um, and that's one thing that I think leaders can and should do is on a regular basis, you know, to remind people, Hey, what are we here for? You know, what's the purpose of this? You know, we're, we are all here because we love taking care of patients. We love helping. We love seeing people get better. And, and I think just the act of recentering, as you suggested on a regular basis is just so refreshing and, and so necessary for uh, maintaining team morale. That's a great observation. And it's something that team members can do too. I mean, I know in OSAC, um, we're regularly, this is the office of student affairs and curriculum, in which I am a part. Um, you know, we all regularly talk about why we're here. Um, and I don't know that we're doing it on purpose. You know, it's not like something somebody told us to do. I think for some reason we, have figured out that, you know, we're here for the students. We're here to, you know, help them get through this arduous process in the best way that we can. And, and, um, it's something that always has impressed me about OSAC. So I don't know, just to, just to pat ourselves yeah. on the back a little bit. Mm-hmm. Good job. Good job. Yeah. And I was going to say that comes from the leadership too. The people who run that office really do a nice job of like, not just kind of expecting people to do things, but exemplifying it and yeah. modeling it. Yeah. And it really kind of, that's a nice version of like trickle down Yeah, yeah. and it actually does trickle down. So if it actually works, <laughs> if it works, yeah, maybe not money, but attitudes. <laughs> yep. Sure. Yeah. I feel like a hidden theme here and everything we've been talking about, uh, which seems so obvious is communication. I feel like every team that I've been on that runs well is because they communicate well, whether that's expectations, whether that's goals, whether that's, you know, reminders of why you're doing it. Um, I think yeah, it's literally. <laughs> yeah. You know, like without communication, everyone feels lost and frustrated and it breeds negative emotion. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Holly, yeah, that's that's dead on. I mean, that's 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 so key. And back to what we were saying earlier, clarity, clarity, clarity is so important. And so, you know, sometimes it's a matter of having some hard conversations. Sometimes it's, you know, you walk over and you go, okay, this is going to be awkward, but I need to talk about how I'm feeling about how that conversation went down. You know, and so if you allow things like that to just fester below the surface, it create it, it creates abscesses and all pus has totally. to be drained mm-hmm. so i'm a good you, you I'm gotta a, have open communication all the time so that's a great observation i'm a natural festerer mm. and it's something that you know <laughs> i just like to give i like a good fester you're just like a boy i just hold there. it in there and and don't do anything about it i it's, think that's part of a, a good leader is you create an environment where people feel like they can have the freedom to emotionally right. express themselves and be like hey i need to talk about that because it doesn't feel good well this is what i've well, learned as i approach my you know, as I, as I reach, you know, true adulthood, as I'm a 50 year old, um, <laughs> that, you know, you can't do that. You know, you, you have to speak up and you have to do it respectfully. And well, and it's, it becomes really a, a clinical safety issue if you're not fostering that kind of an environment. Yeah. So if you're in That's the, safe. if you're in the operating mm-hmm. room or if you're in a, you know, in a clinic and you've created a, you know, a my way or the highway kind of a, you know, an atmosphere, then, people are not going to speak up when they have, you know, concerns about a patient and then a patient's going to get hurt and that's not okay. Yeah. So you guys aren't allowed to wait until you're in your fifties to figure out this, <laughs> this yeah. lesson. We'll get to work Hopefully on that. Not. Yeah. Well, you're a Hopefully we're starting now. We are still having our annual summer listener drive. Um, you know, happy to have you guys listening, but we need uh, to have more to fill the whistling empty existential hole in our lives <laughs> so that, and so that our friends think we're cool. Uh, our show depends on word of mouth to give to get people to give us a try. So listeners, I'm going to bribe you. Share our show on the internet wherever potential listeners hang out. Share an episode, take a screenshot, send it to me at shortcoats at gmail.com and I will send you a free pin that I made myself. Uh, many people have written in and gotten their pins, love sending them out. It's the highlight of my week and, uh, you can see it, uh, over at, uh, the shortcoat.com slash store. And, um, you know, it's just my way of saying thanks for telling the world about us. Appreciate it. Can we also circle back to how that's your favorite part of the week and not podcasting? Yeah. With us? Yeah. Um, it comes right after podcasting. Uh, okay. So <laughs> it's part together. of the podcasting uh, experience. Gotcha. How convenient.
Shut up, Nate. <laughs> <laughs> I can see your sister starting to. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> He's uh, developing an infection. Holly here is going to be an intern next year. I was going to say, I have a question about this. Yeah. Do I you, think you're going. Yeah, I'm going to try this. Uh, and interns are in an interesting position, right? They're, they are relatively inexperienced. They're pretty low on the, on the doctory totem pole, but they are also leaders in a sense, aren't they? Is, have you, you've begun to think about this, I imagine. I have, yeah. And so I was like, I figured we were going in this direction, so I was biding my time. But um, Well, well, well biding. <laughs> yes, You're I not was. supposed to mention that you were biding your time. Oh, whoops. <laughs> I revealed my secret. But, you said um, the quiet part loud and the loud part quiet. <laughs> <laughs> whoops. Uh, but anyways, the selfish part of this question is, I'm an M4 who's about to be in less than a year, probably will be starting as an intern. Um, but I'm hoping this question also applies to medical students starting clerkship, med students starting med school. When you you're like the bottom rung on the totem pole how can you be a leader and how can you be a good team member well and that and the important part of this is that you are the, the important part of this question is that you are as an intern a leader because you are supposed to do things you know you have people who work you know i want to say i don't say for you but you have people who work with you um that you need to be able to tell um, what needs to be done? So, yep. for instance, nurses, right? Mm -hmm. And nurses have a, a lot mm -hmm. of times they'll they'll have a massive experience more than you do. Sure, but you still have <laughs> to do. You still have to lead. Yeah, you still have to lead. You have to lead your patient. You have to lead the team. Yeah, you know, a lot of times you have more contact with the patient than like the attending does, yeah. or with the other residents, or with your med students on service. Yeah, there's opportunities for leadership everywhere. How does that play out, Dr. Lacey, do you think? Yeah, it's, you know, this is sort of, this is sort of the, the anxiety inducing part of, you know, all of, all of our, you know, walks through medicine is that first few months of internship. Um, so, so it's, it's a great question, Holly. Um, so I have a couple of things that I would offer to you. Number one, um, I can't possibly stress enough the importance of establishing yourself as a, as a good intern early. All right. So here's the thing. We all know as attendings and uh, we all know as residents that July is going to be rough. All right. <laughs> so because we've got we've got new interns coming in every you know, the, 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 the new the old interns are becoming new residents and learning how to step into that role. So everybody, you know, every June. Everybody, all of our, all of us look at each other and we're like, July is coming go. up, Here right? So, so first of all, recognize that when you're in that, in that first month in general, people are not looking at you when you make a mistake or when you do something goofy, they're not looking at you and going, she's dumb. They're going, Oh, it's July. Right. So there's a lot of grace. There's a lot dumb. of grace as a general rule. <laughs> so, so take comfort in that. But one of the things that I think is incredibly important for all interns you need to make a plan that that first month, that first rotation that you're on, that you were just going to crush it. Mm -hmm. And I mean that in a really serious way. I mean, not that you're going to do okay, but you need to make plans that that is going to be the best month you've ever had. You're going to do 30% more than you're asked. You're going to read 25 articles a week. You're going to, you're going to bring stuff up in rounds. You're going to ask insightful questions. You're going to go the extra mile for your patients. You're going to be really really nice to the nurses <laughs> always be nice to the nurses yeah. we've said i've said this many yeah. times on the show be nice to your nurses yeah, but like double extra plus nice yeah, yeah. to them yeah. especially because you're but, probably but, gonna make their job harder at first. Yeah. but that first month that first month will absolutely establish your reputation for the entire duration of your residency and if you stay in that institution as a fellow or as an attending it will follow you the rest of your life goodness okay so yeah. because here's what happens okay at the end of each month right you get new residents and new in, and new um, you know new attendings we all talk about you guys and so you know it's yeah, and so we'll, we'll ask each other we'll ask each other you know hey how's the team you know is there anybody who's you know just you know i gotta that i gotta kind of watch out for that they you know i need to do extra you know extra checking on their uh on their work things like that we all talk about you guys just as you guys are going to talk about us and this is i think important for the mentors and the leaders out there as well is that you know if you are if you are mean and abusive the interns will talk about you and everyone will hate you so but this mm -hmm. is this is a, a Real, this is a real error that I see interns make when they come in and they, they, 
they don't try to just crush it that first month and then everybody sees you as average, it's very hard to shake whatever reputation you build in that first month. So I think that's the first thing that I would say. Yeah, that's so um, interesting. Sorry to cut you off here just because I feel no, like okay. residency, particularly intern year, particularly the first few months of intern year, I think the general attitude is just try to survive, like trial by fire, just get through. And so like, that's such a great idea to be like, nope, I'm going to establish myself. Yeah. Now, if you're, if you're, if your goal is to be average and mediocre, um, and you want to be a reversion to the mean, then that's fine. Um, you're not going to work on my team. Um, cause, cause I demand excellence and I, I want the A team. I only want the cream of the crop, but if you're, if you're fine with average, that's fine. Um, but you'll, you'll carry the reputation of being just okay for the rest of your residency. And if you're comfortable with that, then that's fine. Um, so, but I, I encourage people to go in with a plan that I'm just going to assassinate this rotation. I'm going to be the best intern they've ever seen. Um, so the second thing I would say is, um, is have a, is definitely, you know, be prepared to have a healthy dose of humility every day. You know, I like to talk about this in terms of a, having a spirit of meekness, mm-hmm. not a spirit of timidity. Okay. And the mm-hmm. difference is that someone who is meek has a, a certain level of humility where they know that they are less experienced, less knowledgeable than the people that they're working with. And so they, you know, I don't want to say they, they know their place, but, but they, they recognize that there is a, a great deal of experience and authority that comes from the people that have come before them. And so they, they look for ways to insert themselves, but not in a domineering way. Now, if you take that too far and you say, well, I'm never going to speak up ever, that's a spirit of timidity. So you want to bring up, you know, issues you want to be, you want to be confident, but also have the, you know, the, you know, the, the self-knowledge to be able to go, okay, I know when I need to pull it back, when I need to sit and listen and, and hear from the people that are uh, that are ahead of me. Nice. I, I don't think that's just good advice for like rising interns. I feel like that's good life advice, honestly. Yeah. Like always go in, give 100%, but especially when you're making a first impression, there are no second opportunities to make a first impression. So... Yeah. Yep. And that, that's a hundred percent right. And so it, it, and it's very, and because at every, every medical school and every university hospital is a very small community word travels very fast. Yep. Uh, and so, you know, whatever your reputation is that you build up in that first few weeks is going to stay with you for a very long time. Dr. Yep. Lucy, I wanted to ask you if you have noticed something that I've also noticed. Um, I feel like in our circles, because of what you just mentioned, that like the scientific community and the medical community, they're very small and word does travel fast. It's it's very, I don't want to say incestuous, but there's a lot of like cross pollination. And something I've noticed is that people have very polite ways of saying like, I don't work with that person. Or, like, <laughs> I don't like that person. And one of the ways I've noticed people will say this is when I say a name, people will go, yes, I'm familiar. Uh. <laughs> I know them. Right. And like basically they're saying like, yes, I am aware of that person's existence. I don't want to say more because I don't have anything nice to say. <laughs> but in contrast, when you raise, like, when you when you mention a person that that person likes, they'll go, oh, yeah, I know that person. Fantastic. Love working with them. They're the best. I strongly recommend. If they don't say that, that usually means the opposite. Have you noticed that, or is that just in my head? Yeah, Aline, I think that's a good observation. Yeah, that's that's for sure true. Um, now, there are some people that are, that are uh, less polite than others about it, and they'll just straight up be like, oh, yeah. Uh, that person's a complete tool, right? So you, you'll, <laughs> so that would be, you know, warning, warning, warning. That yeah. would be very bad. Right. But yeah. yeah, if, you know, I think that's, I think that's fair. I think if you're, if you're talking to someone and they give a very lackluster, uh, sort of, you know, uh, you know, just very non-answer answer, you know, like, yeah. oh yes, that person exists, right? That, or yes, I'm familiar, <laughs> or I know that, I, or like, <laughs> or like, oh, yes, I've, I've seen them around. That's, that's, yeah, that, that could be a red flag potentially. Cool. I feel like my favorite way that I heard someone do the similar thing that you're talking about is, I don't even remember which rotation it was on, but um, the attending clearly didn't like, like a different attending a resident or something and they were just like they don't schedule us together anymore <laughs> they were really like oh no <laughs> that's like that's like the doctor version of a spear just yeah. chuck it they're like no here's the line yeah oh dear you know that is actually something I'd like to hear um, your thoughts on Dr. Lacey there's a there's a big difference in like having to deal with a difficult personality that you have power over because you're the team leader how and and it's okay if you don't I don't know if you have an answer for this because this seems like a, I'm I'm in my 30s and I still struggle with this. 
it's really hard to figure out how to deal with a difficult person at my power level where like the cost of putting myself out there and making my negative feelings known could have repercussions that I then have to deal with forever. And there's no getting away from that person. And there's no, I have no power to like move away or like move to a different team. Cause like in business, you know, you get in a fight with someone like in an office setting, you just use the fax machine in the other office. It's fine. You know? <laughs> but, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No? yeah. I, I don't think it's any easier to get away from people in that situation, but your point is, is well taken. Yeah. Maybe I don't, you're not wrong. I take it back. I guess it's a little more complicated when like a person's life is on the line. You're like, look, we need to, we got to deal yeah, with this. You know, we can't escape this conflict. How do you deal with difficult personalities when they're at your level? So I think it I think it depends a little bit on on what the time frame is and what your role is. So let me give you a couple of examples. So if you're talking about residency and you know it's one of your fellow interns and they're just, you know, they're they're you know, they're sandbagging it, they're not doing their work, you know, they're lazy you're moving on in six weeks, right? And so just mm. I would say if it was me in that situation. I would just kind of suck it up and deal and re- and recognize that, yeah, it's, it's more work for me, but you know, if I show myself to be super competent, I just look that much better to everybody mm-hmm. else in light of this person who's, you know, just, you know, just completely blowing it. And yes, the residents will notice. And yes, your attendings will notice. We notice all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I would say there is, there is value in just putting your head down and saying, I'm just going to do my job. And then six weeks from now, I just know this is going to be all over. Now, if you're talking about something that's more of a long-term thing, um, the first thing I would say is anything you can do to try to prevent that sort of thing by selecting the right place to work would be would be advisable. And so, mm. and so if you're if you're looking for a new job, for example, let's say you're getting out of residency and you're looking for a place to uh, to you know start your practice you need to think of that as a, as equivalent to a marriage relationship, because you're going to be working with these people for a very long time. And so, you know, uh, I don't know if any of you guys are married, but like for me, when my wife and I were dating, you know, I didn't, you know, it wasn't like, you know, we had three dates and it's like, so we should get married now. Right. So, you know, <laughs> you spent time, you spend a lot of time together, you get to know each other, you ask lots of questions, you learn about them. Um, and, and I think that that's that we need to be doing that same kind of preparation when we're looking for jobs or we're looking for residency. So if you guys are going on your residency interviews, for example, um, I think you need to spend some time, you know, going around, you know, don't just do the tour and the interviews and be done, you know, go spend some time in the hospital, wander up to the wards and, and just talk to people and just oh, say, you know, and just, you, you know, are, hey, you, um, you are I'm destroying just, Holly right yeah, now. I was going to say, this is all very painful because in the COVID application cycle, we have all of our interviews are now virtual. And so I think that oh, that is painful. the prime anxiety of my <laughs> class, the class of 2021, is how in the world are we going to tell what's a positive work environment over Zoom and if the residents actually like each other and if the attendings mm-hmm. respect the resident, you know, like all of that is very worrisome and we're trying to figure it out because as someone going through this process, I've actually been doing a lot of research on residency programs and it turns out the number one factor that people think about when they build their rank list is perceived resident happiness at that institution. Mm. Yeah. Well, so here's what I would say about that. Cause that's a really, really challenging time. Um, it matters very much to your sanity and your happiness that you get this right. So I think, I, th- I think I would caution that any of your classmates that are just throwing up their hands and going, well, I guess I'll just pick it based on the best reputation. They are going to find that they are very unhappy. Well, I'll say it this way. They're playing Russian roulette yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> with a, with a fully loaded gun. Um, so, um, Guaranteed. They're, they're, so I can give you a couple of specific suggestions that immediately come to mind. Um, the first thing is that, uh, I would look at the school's website and find student organizations like the one that you guys have mentioned. So like the women's group that Aline mentioned or the, um, um, equal meds that I think Nathan mentioned, you know, find some of these student groups and, um, you know, see if you can pull an email address off the website of, you know, who's the president of the, of the organization. Um, and, and just shoot them an email and say, Hey, listen, I'm a, I'm an MS4. I'm, I'm looking at different residency programs. Would you mind if I, you know, you know, called you up and just talked to you for 30 minutes? you'll be amazed oh. at how many times you'll get a yes answer to that's that question. That's good. Yeah. That's real good. That's um, you know, we have all these student interest groups. You know, if you want to be an OB-GYN, call, you know, 
You can find you can find the OBGYN leader uh, the OBGYN student interest group leadership on our website. You know, yeah. mm -hmm. call them up. I would say that this kind of loops back to the mentorship thing that we were talking about because in particularly this year, but it, in theory all years, um, students are now having to rely more heavily on their mentors and what the mentors know about each institution and where they would fit and where's reasonable for people to try and go. But I know I personally have been reaching out to the class above mine and every student that matched in the specialty I want to go into, I contacted and said, where did you rotate? What did you like? What did you didn't? What didn't you like? What? Why did you pick the institution you did? What factored into your decision? Um, and I know a lot of my other classmates have done something similar where they reach out to either specific institutions or alumni from Iowa mm -hmm. um, in the specialty they want to go into. Um, and so I feel like that's big evidence that you should definitely depend on residents and interns for mentorship. <laughs> Well, and here's another, here's another thing that is that you can do. So, um, there's a, there's another great book that I'll recommend to you guys called the proximity principle. Uh, it's by a guy named Ken Coleman. Um, and his basic premise is that, you know, everything that you need, uh, everything that you think you need in order to accomplish your career goals already exists within your sphere of influence. So, so think about this, like how many people do you guys have in your phones? 500 or so. Yeah. Now think about how many people you have in your phones is 500 and, let's assume that each of those people has 500 people in their phones. So mm -hmm. that's 25, that's 25,000 people that are immediately, no, that's 250,000 people that are immediately within your sphere of influence. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's a great place to start also is, you know, email, you know, or, or contact, you know, people that are in your, that, you know, that have gone on to other residencies and say, Hey, you're not, you, you don't go to, you know, Northwestern, but do you know somebody who's at Northwestern and see if you can find somebody, but there's, there's just no substitute for, you know, for firsthand Intel. And so, um, another thing you could do is, you know, get with the Dean of students from, cause that definitely is going to be a contact information that you can find on any website is mm -hmm. who's the Dean of students, get with that person assistant and say, Hey, listen, I'm, I'm thinking about coming there. I'm really interested in OBGYN or I'm really interested in ortho. Can you put me in touch with, you know, an interest group or, or who's the, um, who, you know, who's the class president for the current MS force, you know, or something mm -hmm. like that. And just, you know, just see if you can reach out and find somebody. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that that actually happens naturally a lot of the time, or at least like, I remember when I was talking to a couple of the recently graduated classes, um, uh, I want to go into ortho. And so that's one that also relies heavily on away rotations, which of course didn't happen this year. And that's how lots of people figure out which program they want to go to. So more trouble. But anyways, um, every time I talked to one of them, they all did that exactly that where they were like, um, I don't know anybody who rotated in this program you're interested in, or, or I didn't rotate there, but I know somebody who did and they would give me their contact info. And so I think most people are willing to help if you reach out, but it's on you to reach out and make those connections. It's not my job, but I'll find someone whose yeah. job it is. <laughs> <laughs> so, connections everywhere. That's awesome. I want to spend the last few minutes of the show uh, sort of comparing and contrasting some leadership styles that we've been seeing amid uh, the shit show that is 2020. <sighs> And, uh, you know, we, we're, I think we're all being directly affected by both excellent and faulty leaders in healthcare. Um, and I'm wondering, what are some leaders in the current crisis, Dr. Lacey, that you have admired? National leaders um, is kind of what I'm thinking of. But, you know, are there people that you've looked to that you've been like, yeah, this is this person's doing good? Yes, absolutely. So um, a couple of examples immediately leaped to mind. Um, the second episode of my podcast, I had on um, former Surgeon General uh, Vice Admiral Forrest Faison, which was he's a, he's one of, he was my former commanding officer hmm. uh, when I was uh, when I was stationed in San Diego. And he is a he's just a he's a phenomenal man. I respect him so much, but we actually talked quite a bit about leadership during crisis. Um, and you know, so that was, uh, that was, that was a, that was a fantastic conversation. But one of the things that he said is that, you know, you're not going to always have all the answers, you know, necessarily your job is primarily to keep the team together you know, keep everybody focused on the mission. You know, the mission needs to be very clear. What's the mission? It's taking care of our patients. What's the mission It's taking care of our patients. All right. So then everything else is about adapt and overcome. Um, uh, another one that I would say, um, uh, would be, uh, I'll tell you, honestly, my, uh, my director, um, he's been, he's been the point person here regionally for our, uh, uh, our COVID response. And so, you know, he's, he's in charge of, you know, 
190,000 Marines or something mm. like that. And it's been, uh, it's just been absolutely phenomenal. So, but he, he's a very different style. So the Admiral is more of a, you know, sort of your, your classic, you know, gregarious outspoken, you know, everybody, you know, biggest guy in the room, you know, kind of thing. And, uh, you know, my director is just more of a, you know, quiet behind the scenes, just knows how to get the job done, knows everybody that, you know, is on the team, knows how to put the right people in the right seats on the bus. I mean, you know, just, just very quietly goes about doing his job. So I think there's a lot of different leadership styles and that's important for folks that are listening is to think about, you know, there, there are no leaders that look all identical. That's not a thing, you know, it's not like, so, you know, people often ask me, you know, do you think leaders are born or leaders made? I say, well, how many times have you been in a delivery room? And the doc says, oh, congratulations, you had a leader, <laughs> right? So that, that happens never, right? So there's, there, there are certain, there are certain, you know, personality traits that we generally think of as, uh, you know, uh, being common among leaders, but the truth is they, they, you know, there's lots of different ways to look like a leader and to be one. They do go first, right? They like I I was actually thinking the same thing as you were like getting to the point of like comparing the two leaders that mattered a lot to you. My and you got to the point exactly like there's not one prototypical leadership style, but that you you did a really nice job. I feel like in this conversation for us as you know junior people in this career did a nice job of pointing out like but there are certain characteristics that they all have mm -hmm. and like at one point I, I don't think i said it and it was something that you said that provoked the thought in me leaders go first like that's the fundamental thing they yeah. see a problem and they take care of it they deal with it or they find the person who will but Anyway, this is, I'm just talking because I like the sound of my voice now. I'm just saying that <laughs> I think you've articulated that perfectly, that like there are different styles, but they all accomplish the same thing of like making everyone better and like solving problems. Yeah. yeah they, they lead, you lead from the front. You can't lead from behind, but the core, the corollary to that is that you are, you're pulling people with you. You're not, you're not, you know, you're not pushing them forward. You're, right. you're pulling them with you. You're, you're casting the vision. You're showing people where to go. You're keeping people on mission and that that's leading first, but also remembering that your team is, you know, if you think of your team members as more important than you, then, you know, then you're, you're thinking of yourself at, you're thinking of them as being more important. So you're, you're in the front, but you're, pulling them with you and, and showing everybody what they can do. Um, so there's another great book by uh, Simon Sinek, Leaders Eat Last, um, that I would recommend that really talks about that. I've made note of every book you've mentioned, and I will set it today and make sure that he shares it. I, um, I wanted to call out a particularly great leader um, that we have in our own hospital. This is our hospital CEO, uh, Suresh Gunasek Gunasekaran. I don't know if that's right. He never uses his last name, I've noticed. He just signs, he just signs everything Suresh. Um, and it's worth noting that he's an MBA. He's not a physician. Um, and I think perhaps among physicians, MBA leaders get a bad rap, but you know, maybe I'm wrong. But his style of leadership in this current crisis is to be knowledgeable, calm, truthful. He's a realist. He's an optimist at the same time. Uh, he's a giver of credit. He's a sharer of spotlights. Mm -hmm. um, he's been holding these COVID forums and town halls about our financial situation. And I kind of got a bit of a professional crush on the man. Like, I, I mean, he's yeah. doing such an amazing job in this time mm -hmm. that even when he's talking about, you know, $100 million of deficits or $80 million or whatever it is right now, um, I don't feel hopeless. You know, and that is an amazing quality right there. And I think it's it's very it's it's unusual. Um, it seems to me. Would you? What do you think about? Is 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 it as unusual as I think it is, or have I just been exposed to some pretty bad leaders? Well, I think you. I think in any organization or any industry, you're going to find some people that um, rise to the surface that are sort of the cream of the crop, if you will. Um, but um, I, I think that again, it depends on it depends on what you how you define leadership. I think you know to Aline's point, I think all leaders need to have integrity. I think all leaders need to be um, you know effective communicators. But there are different ways to do that. And so um, yeah, so you may very well have a diamond in the rough. And uh, and congratulations, that's fantastic because certainly. I can give you as many examples of bad leaders as I can of good leaders. Um, so, uh, you know, you know, and it's one of those things, you know, like what you said at the beginning, I think David is that it's one of those things that you know it when you see it mm -hmm. and, and the ones that you tend to remember are the ones that have done it the best. But in my experience, I find that we remember them, those people the most because it's rare to find them. Yeah. Well, 
It's been a great conversation. Um, Dr. Brent Lacey, thank you so much for uh, joining us today to talk about this super important subject. Uh, it's been great having you on the show. Well, David, I really appreciate you having me. And um, as a uh, as a as a way to say thank you, I wanted to uh, I wanted to offer for your for your listeners and for our, our three students that are sitting there. Um, I've got some. I put together a couple of resources that I, I thought you guys might like. So I've got a a great reading list that highlights some of these books that we talk about and. Um, a resource for creating a personal mission statement that um, can help you kind of recenter yourselves when, you know, you get to internship Ooh, and you're like, oh, why am I hating my life again? Hey, I feel like um, it might also help me write my personal statement. <laughs> yeah. 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 So I'm you know, all about yes. it. We didn't come so, here but, expecting to get anything from you except the pleasure of your, you know, conversation. But thank you so much. We've materially gained so much. It's 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 just because I love you guys. So they you guys can so you guys can uh, link to that at the scope of slash short coat. Awesome. And, uh, and I'll send you all that stuff. Fantastic. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, head on over it. Uh, have a listen to his podcast. Check check out what he's doing over there. Um, it's great work. Holly, Aline, Nathan, thank you for being my co-host today. Thank you, Thank you, for, thank you yeah. for hosting. And what kind of garbage person would I be if I didn't thank you, Short Coats, for making us a part of your week? If you're new here and you like what you heard today, subscribe to our show, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever fine podcasts are available. I'm not hiding. You can come find us. I remind you that your sh- your questions are vital to the show because they mean it can be what you want it to be about. Send questions and comments to the shortcoats at gmail.com or you can leave a message at 347-SHORT-CT. We'll talk about it on the show. While your podcast app is open, we hope you'll be the kind of listener we're always grateful for. Give us some stars and a review to let us know if we're doing this podcast thing right. The show is made possible by a generous donation by Carver College of Medicine Student Government and ongoing support from the Writing and Humanities Program. Our opening music is by Dr. Vox and our closing music is by Catmosphere. Talk to you in one week. Bye.